Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we welcome you here. We are at the church taping this, and they're doing some construction work, and there might be some hammer blows that you'll hear in the distance. Hopefully not, but if they are, that's what it is. It's really exciting stuff. Anyhow, we are going to deal with the fascinating subject of apostasy and on this uh podcast we're actually going to explain it uh, what it is um now we've already introduced that subject it's a very serious subject in our last episode but when we talk about the idea of apostasy what is meant and all we would say it is a willful abandoning of the christian faith um that's what it means so let i'll, I'll give you a definition out of Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. He's, uh, it says, um, turning against God as evidenced by abandonment and repudiation of former beliefs. The term generally refers to a deliberate renouncing of the faith by a once sincere believer rather than a state of ignorance or mistaken knowledge. Uh, that's important what he's saying there. It's, it's a willful one. It's not like right. I didn't know what to believe. Um, so apostasy is distinguished from heresy, which is a denial of a part of the faith, and from transfer of allegiance from one religious body to another within the same faith, becoming Episcopalian rather than Baptist or something. Sure. Um, also, it is possible to deny the faith as Peter, Peter once did, and then at a later time re affirm it. So that's a general idea of the topic of apostasy. Now, if you've been a Christian, though, for any length of time, you've likely witnessed apostasy occur, even if you didn't know what it was. Um, You watched a person who seemed to be so passionate about Jesus and the gospel, and one day they just simply discard it and go away into a life of blasphemy, a a life that's mocking Christ and, and sin. Um, having experienced the joy and the glory of salvation uh, is not, though, the same thing as having been actually regenerated by the Holy Spirit and placed into the body of Christ. So that, I I think, right up front, we want to make that clear, is that just because a person seems to express a hope and the glory and a joy of salvation doesn't mean they have it. Um, Experience may feel very, very real, but it does not make the experience actually real. Right. Um, and this can be quite troublesome to people whose faith rests so much upon experience rather than biblical truth, which is the state of the American church. Uh, we cannot ever actually determine the validity of a person's faith simply based upon their experiences, nor Do we base it merely upon their declaration of hope and faith and biblical truth? Rather, it's actually a both-and proposition. Um, So, like in Mark 4, verses, can't be 1 through 17. 
It's in Mark four parable of the soils. Okay. <laughs> the, well, okay. So it's probably one through 17, but, uh, in a similar way, it says this in a similar way, uh, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. So that's the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, and they received it right? right with joy. Yeah. Um, and they have no firm root in themselves. But are, but are only temporary, then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately fall away. So apostasy, in other words, happens, and it happens actually all the time. Sometimes it explodes in a person's life in a very violent way, uh, such as flagrant sin. But often it's actually the slow creep of many seemingly small decisions where a person compromises on this bit of truth and that bit of truth until ultimately there's just no truth at all to be found. Yeah. And when we're talking about this, there's also something that's important to understand. Um, and it's often misunderstood. We talked a little bit about it in the intro last time, but one common misunderstanding is that apostasy is the same thing as church discipline. Yeah. But there are two separate things. Um, when a, when a person is taken to that final step in the church discipline process. Again, go see our episode if you don't know what that is, but where they're, where they're essentially sent out from the church and they're now treated as an unbeliever, though it's phrased as Gentile or tax collector, just right. an unbeliever. Um, they're now treated as one who never came to faith in the first place. Um, and so repentance there is actually possible. Um, and that's the key to understand. Uh, with apostasy though, it's much different. Repentance is not possible. And this is something that we're going to seek to explain over the next few episodes. But apostasy is, is much more severe. And why? Well, because it is that willful act of rejection of faith by a person. And again, that, that word willful is key. A person under church discipline is in the process of being called by many to be backslidden as a Christian. Um, and so what makes the, the discipline process so serious is that we can't tell who's merely backslidden and who's actually an apostate. Right. And only time's going to show that for right. us. If they're genuinely a believer, they will return from that state of being disciplined out of the church. But if they're apostate, they'll actually leave and flourish in their realm of unbelief because of a, at some point they cast off the fetters in every sense of right. the word. Um, we also note that apostasy was a sad norm for the nation of Israel. Uh, and you just need to read through the Old Testament and you're going to quickly realize that. And we walk through a myriad of passages to try and show that. Um, we also saw in the earthly ministry of Jesus that again, apostasy was happening all the time. We looked at passages where people claimed to love and to follow him, but then just to depart him and deny him later. The obvious and most glaring example of that, of course, is Judas. Um, and it's noteworthy that Jesus, he also spoke much of the reality of apostasy in his earth, earthly teaching. Um, it, it wasn't something that would merely come later. Um, so why don't we hear, though, much of this today? Why? What are some reasons that apostasy is just not talked about or taught on in the church today? So one would be, we'd say, just the love to be vague in theology, right? Um, so many teachers, they, they speak in such broad ways that, you can say, yeah, I believe that, but 
I'm not sure what that actually is because the theology is so vague. Yeah. Uh, also, there is this a strong disconnect between both your life and what you say you believe. So uh, you have people who will say, I believe, and yet their life indicates no belief whatsoever. It's just filled with uh, great and grievous sin. Um, church membership also becomes very played down or misunderstood. And so exactly what are you apostatizing from? from I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's my own personal private faith. Um, another reason, though, is it's simply not attractional. I mean, how many people are you going to be pulling into your church if you're doing a series on apostasy and you? The three you know? Bs, building, budgets, and butts. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's it's sad, <laughs> but it's true. And so that's why so many of your sermons are light and airy and it's and the key word is always relevant right it's what how's it affect us and so we don't actually create up uh, people who are disciples of Jesus Christ as much as they're just people feeding on a relevant message that helps them in their day-to-day -day uh, moment um, and again one's faith is seen as private and personal rather than corporate and uh, public um, and then you add to that the postmodern sense of truth in so many, uh, and it makes the idea of having absolute truth very hard to accept. And so what we're going to do in this episode is we want to begin to look at the Bible passages that speak on the idea of apostasy. And we're going to devote an entire episode, uh, actually two episodes, yeah. to what we uh, call the scary passages. Um because they are scary uh, in the book of Hebrews. So we're not going to deal with Hebrews today, uh, but we're going to devote two whole podcasts to those warning passages because those are the ones that most people, when they come to them, they freak out. They're yeah. like, oh my gosh, I've willfully sinned. Does that mean I'm, oh, no. So we want to talk about it um, and we want to deal with it very, very carefully. But today what we're just going to do is deal with We'll give a jet tour other. of all the others, yeah. yeah. So these are all key passages now. So the first one that we're going to deal with is Acts 20, 25 through 32. Uh, let me just read it. Uh, it says, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went out about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. This is Paul talking. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel or purpose of God, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Well, he's just laying on the, yeah. <laughs> the reasons here. Um, and then he says, here's the key. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things for what purpose? To draw away the disciples after them. Here's the command. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and do the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So here's a very important passage for many different reasons. In fact, it's the one, one of the ones we spend a lot of time on with Ethiopia, with the pastors, because it's capture so many job description yeah yeah um and it, yeah there, there's a lot of issues being dealt with here but it helps us see the uniqueness of the role of elders for the care of the church notice paul doesn't call the whole church here to him rather he's summoning the elders uh and he's also using this um 
uses in in this passage here the terms connected to overseer, bishop, uh, shepherd, pastor. Uh, They're all interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. And in so doing, though, we see that they're, yeah, they're different terms for the same office. Um, we also see that elders, it is the elders that are responsible um, for certain things. Notice, though, it's not for church growth. It's not for church program. It's not for visitation. Rather, their primary responsibility here is to guard and to feed the people of God. So it's, again, that two-edged sword, both protect and guard, but also feed and nurture. But if you're so busy trying to grow your church. You don't do either. Yeah. Yeah. And you just set them up. Right. Um, we see here also the deity of Jesus Christ because he speaks of the church of God and then says it's something which Jesus has purchased with his own blood. So that's just a neat uh, observation to make. But for our purposes here, we want to point out what he warns the men to be on guard for. So what is, what is he warning them against here. All right. So he says that he knows, not merely suspects or fears, but he actually knows that right. false teachers shall come into the church. Uh, but not only this, but even from among the elders, that's what's frightening. That's the scary part. So he's looking at yeah. these men and it's kind of like a Christ saying, one of you is going to betray me. It's like, <laughs> me? <laughs> you know, and that's what he's saying though. He's like, among the elders shall false men arise, which is very sobering. Uh, and then what's the method used by these false men of God? Well, it's very simple, and it's what it's always going to be. It's going to be false teaching, or as Paul would put it here, perverse things. Yeah. And finally, then what's the goal that they have? Well, the goal that these false teachers who are going to come in and rise up from among them will do is to draw disciples away instead so that they would begin to follow them. And the idea is not following the other elders, but instead of following Christ yeah. uh, or the teachings of the apostles. So yeah. uh, it's, it's a very helpful passage with regard to apostasy. Um, the apostate will be one who holds to false or corrupt doctrine. Um, this means people must hold fast to the faith that, or that body of truth that was once delivered to the church. Yeah. It also means that the leaders are to be exceedingly diligent in watching over the doctrine of the elders and those who become teachers. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Huge. You don't just say, hey, he's a teacher or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, it also would tell us that disciples in the church are much like the disciples who followed after Jesus. Some are genuine, some are false. Um, their claims are important. We, I mean, we want to hear a claim of faith, right? But the most important quality is that they remain with Christ. Uh, it's noteworthy that those deceived by these false teachers now become disciples of these. Right. Yeah. They're the, following the, someone. Yep. Right. They're following. Yeah. But it's not Christ. Yeah. And then finally, we see that apostates can take on a couple of different appearances. Uh, and this one's interesting. The first is that they're false teachers or leaders in the church. Uh, but then second, their followers who desire the false teaching of others. Right. Um, but the end result's going to be the same. In both cases, it's apostasy. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's your first passage. The next one that we'll look at is uh, Romans 16, in verses 17 and 18. He says, uh, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Why? For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, 
but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And so we have Paul pleading with the church there in Rome to be diligent in the key area of of any, the life of any type of church, and that is that there are those who will come in and create problems through divis- divisiveness and creating snares or points of living and doctrine that trip up people. It's it's literally the term for a stumbling block. Uh, it's worth pointing out that their words and actions are actually contrary to the teaching taught to the church there. And so again, what we end up seeing is the necessity of sound doctrine in the church to help with protecting the health of the people. Um, The people of any church ought to be weighing what they hear from other people on the scales of the good teaching that they're receiving, which is where our frustration comes yeah. because so yeah. much of it's bad teaching or non-existent. There's, you literally don't have the people capable of saying, that doesn't sound right. I, I mean, pastor teaches very differently than that. Um, and that's the main problem we have with the type of lightweight teaching and the preaching that happens. Uh, they're very slick with their production. Uh, they're very cleverly preached. Uh, they're even very easily understood, but they never end up equipping or protecting the people. And so the teachers and shepherds should create an unwelcome environment for false teachers and problem people. Uh, those who wish to whisper lies or, or create false standards and redirect good thinking to broken thinking should find themselves corrected more times than not if the pastors, that the leaders are doing their job. Because the people are so well equipped that they're like, no, that's wrong. Right. Uh, rather than, wow, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and though the these people here are claiming to be slaves or servants or disciples or followers of Jesus Christ, the realities are not. In reality, they're slaves of their own appetites right. and their own desires. Uh, notice also that finally, there are people who deceive those who are unsuspecting. And the way they do that, and I like the way he phrases it, smooth or flattering speech. Yep. So you don't recognize it as necessarily destructive. These are false believers, but they'll also draw away false believers. Uh, we've seen this in action many, many times. Yeah. Um, you certainly over the many years, but people come in, they, they talk big about how much they love the church and how happy they are to be at you know our church, but slowly they begin to gather around them uh, as they begin to speak, uh, they begin to gather people around them, uh, around a certain teaching that they're teaching or that they don't like what is being right. taught here. Um, they, they do it carefully. They do it slyly. They just, they're suggestive. They ask questions. Um, but what they're trying to do is create suspicion in the minds of the people. That's, that's their goal. This is why uh, at, at this church, uh, we're not willing to let people come into the church and have just any sort of influence through leadership until they've been here for quite a while. They they need to be tested. Um, we need to understand what they believe and why they believe it. Um, you know, it's why we're slow to bring on elders. Yeah. Uh, very slow to to lay hands on men. Uh, it's simply that that's not. If people are suspicious of that. The reason for that is because it's a form of protection. Um, you know, for once, once the wolf is loose, if you will, among the sheep, the damage is crazy. Yeah, you can't undo it. No. So, yeah, all you need to do is find out that you're an apostate, you know, <laughs> and, and we laid hands on you, and here you are pastoring these people, but in fact, you're 
through a process drawing them away from Christ, the damage is immense, right? I mean, and so we have to be wise. We have to be careful. Yeah. Um, and then the commandment given in verse 17 here is very simple. It's just avoid them. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, we're not going to debate. We're not going to have a conversation. It's just avoid them. They're not your friend. They don't need a listening ear. They don't need patience. They don't need to be shown grace. Once you see them for what they are, you would do well to just avoid them. That's the command. But you can stay Facebook friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> just ask. It is kind of, yeah, there's a pet peeve there. Um, so the, the, that command, though, is given to the church as a whole. Uh, and that's also what's interesting here. It's not just to the leaders, it's to the church right. as a whole. So even though there's, you know, there, there's some truth behind your statement about the Facebook friends, <laughs> um, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, one of those things that all members are required to do. Uh, but for the leaders in the church, the command of Acts 20 here also comes into play. It's to guard the people from these sorts of right. wolves. But as they're guarding, it also is responsible of the ability of the people to guard themselves, right? Yes. Unfriend some people. Right. You just should. Uh, you don't need to be liking a post from an apostate. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid them. Anyhow, uh, another passage is Galatians chapter 1. You want to read that, verses 6 through 9? Sure. Uh, this is Paul, of course. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. All right, so an apostate will always stumble ultimately over the gospel. That's, that's the key. Yeah. Uh, it, we're not talking about other doctrines. Um, we're talking about the gospel. It may not show itself right away, but in the end, that will be the final proof of the apostasy. So usually the beginnings of apostasy will be found in disagreements with other types of doctrine. Um, now, in our experience, there's often this unusual interest in alternative views on some doctrine that was raised at some point in church history. You know, well, you know, when you actually read the writings of Pelagius, there, you know, there's some good stuff. And you're like, an apostate, <laughs> false, no. But it doesn't matter. They're just proposing and, hey, I'm just reading it. I find it really is interesting. But all we're saying there is it may not be a false doctrine that they're starting to entertain, but it's not sound doctrine. Right. Um, and it's the beginning oftentimes of the slide. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone who goes there will end up in apostasy, but that's so often how it starts. So for some, that's where they stop, right? They, they, they're truly in Christ, but they end up carrying these unique ideas, uh, but they won't deny the gospel. This is why we have denominations, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you believe that uh, baptism of the Spirit is a speaking in tongues, and I say, no, it's not. Well, we're we're not going to be able to hang around each other in the church service very easily. We're going to tend to gravitate toward people of similar doctrine. But the one thing we still carry is the gospel, and we can look at each other and say, we're brothers in Christ. We actually love each other uh, and care for each other, though we violently <laughs> disagree over certain yes. points of doctrine. But for the apostate, these unique doctrines merely help get the downward slide 
moving. Um, so the problem in the Galatian church was twofold. The first is that there were those who were preaching a false gospel, but the second is that the church is allowing them right. to do it. That, and he's like, what? What is going on, people? Uh, and so we again come back to that need for a love of sound doctrine within the entire church, but also the need for faithful shepherds who could guard the access to the pulpit. Not everyone who desires, in other words, to have a voice in the church necessarily should have a voice. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's not popular. No. You know, but it's like, until you're convinced me that you're sound in your doctrine and your life exhibits a love for Christ, I just don't want you to be speaking into the lives of other people because right. I'm letting pot potentially a wolf loose. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that's a good passage. Another one would be First Timothy 1, 6 through 7. Would you want to read that one? Uh, sure. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. <laughs> We've met people like this. this. a few times, yeah. Um, <laughs> Again, the apostate here is seen in becoming uh, enthralled with foolish, or as he uses the term, fruitless or useless doctrines. Uh, and often, then, they all of a sudden want to become teachers within the church. Uh, they thought a thought, so now everyone else must think this thought. It's like, no, they shouldn't think that thought because it's not a good thought. Um, but nothing nothing new is seen in this passage. It's a reiteration of things that we've already seen. Um, you know, um, so, so it's simply sufficient to, again, reflect on the need here to examine the content of anyone who teaches. And when things are not proper, the leaders of the church need to act. Yep. So even in doing your best efforts to avoid these men and to identify them, some will come in and you just didn't see it. They look good and they sound sharp. But once you start to hear them heading down there, it's important yeah. that the church act and that's where the um the shepherds come in yeah. so then the next one um is a is probably the one we'll spend the most time on in first john 2 verses 17 to 20 and i'll read it and then if you want to start to build sure. um john writes the world is passing away and also its lust but the one who does the will of god lives forever Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Yeah, so this is one of the more definitive passages. Yeah. Um, and, and John here, he's, I love this man. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's just so black and white. Uh, but he is making- Which is fascinating because he's the apostle of love, right? <laughs> and it's like- You know what? I never thought about that. Oh, yeah. yeah he's the apostle a, of love. And it's like, you don't read him, do you? <laughs> I mean, Paul actually will have more grayness. Yeah. Uh, John is just like, yeah, you're of the devil. <laughs> I love you, though. <laughs> <laughs> you were of your father. Yeah. Uh, so he 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 is here. He, he so typical of him is making a just a blatant 
full-on frontal attack on those who are teaching false things in the church. Um, and so up until this point, he is been contrasting between truth and error, and now he just openly calls these people antichrists. <laughs> in love. I've not yet stood up in a pulpit and said that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, as much as people yeah, attack you know. us on, man, you right. guys are kind of harsh. It's like, yeah, you're an antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> we should try that. Our next uh, live broadcast on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Repent, ye antichrists. <laughs> Well, you're getting full in there. When you need a space maker, you know what you need to do now. Uh, so now uh, notice in verse 17, uh, he, he's saying this age or this world is passing away. He just got done talking about those who love the world in verse 15 and following. Uh, but here, this age or this world is passing away in 17. And now in verse 18, he says the last hour has come. And so he introduces someone called now the Antichrist. Um, and it helps to understand here a lot of people don't make this observation right. and this distinction, but there's actually two different sets of antichrists. There's the singular and the plural. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what stands out about the antichrist? All right. So the antichrist singular. here with a capital A we're going to make, uh, this one hasn't come yet. Uh, and though, so it makes him seem in some way or another unique. Now we're only dealing with this section right now. So there's other passages yeah. that bring up the antichrist as well, but here, we, we see that he hasn't come. Uh, somehow this seems to set him apart as unique. In fact, the whole way it's written seems to point to a very specific person who will be known as the Antichrist. But also this Antichrist is one whom they have heard, uh, meaning it was part of the Christian message taught to them that they had been warned about the coming of the Antichrist. And there also seems to be a, a decent amount of anticipation in the coming of this person or being. And in fact, John's other writing in Revelation uh, chapter 13, excuse me, 13 actually deals with this person, the Antichrist. So yeah. that's the Antichrist. You uh, can talk about the plural. Yeah. That, and just uh, by the way, I find that so fascinating that that was part of kind of how they were catechized, I guess. It's in the beginnings of your faith, you're also going to be instructed on warnings against this coming Antichrist. So, you know, when's the last time Yeah, at, at, at your church you get, you were given a rich teaching on the warnings and the signs of the coming Antichrist? When I preached through Revelation well, you 13. Did yeah. Um, but it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, you know. I, the level of ignorance that most people have on end time theology uh, is stunning to me. And I think it's a shame. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, that's not our subject. Right. We'll get to that in systematic theology. Yeah. So, so the Antichrist singular, uh, what about Antichrist's plural? Well, according to John, many have appeared already. Um, and so because of that fact, the reality is that they are now in the last hour. Um, and whoever these, these persons are, in some way, they're similar to the Antichrist, yet at the same time, they're distinct and subordinate from it. Yeah, so <laughs> there's this Antichrist, and then there's these Antichrists, Christ. and in some way, they're connected to him, but they don't seem to be equal to kinda him. Kind of like they're a, they're a form, maybe, of what's to come. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of like that. Um, 
So as a side note, what's interesting is people don't uh, understand this. Um, the Apostle John is the only one who actually uses the term Antichrist. He does in 1 John 2.18, verse 22, chapter 4, verse 3, 2 John 1.7, as well as uh, in Revelation. So it's unique to John. Yeah, yep. it's, a, it's, it's a term only he uses. Yeah. Um, and it literally means those who are opposed to Christ, anti-Christ. Um, this fits for anyone then. So you say, well, who's an anti-Christ? Well, it's anyone who comes with a false Christology, which is the whole point of John, right? First John is dealing with, if you don't believe these things about Christ, you walk in darkness. Yes. Uh, um, you have to have a proper Christology. And, and again, it underscores what we're constantly ranting about in this podcast, the need to have sound theology. So a right understanding of Christ must be taught, and there can be no tolerance of anything less. And if somebody comes with something contrary to that, they qualify as not the Antichrist, but an anti. Yeah, an Antichrist. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in verse 19, uh, so who who's the primary focus here? Well, it's the Antichrists. But this is an important one because this is the one they went out from us, uh, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. So the question is, who are the they yes. and who are the us? And that's that's what you're, you're going to explain, but it's really quite cool. Yeah, and so he has in focus here th those Antichrists, yeah. plural. Um and and so in light of that though, what's what's an application we can make about it? Um, well, notice they went out in the way it's kind of not kind of the way it's phrased here is from the midst of the church. They went out from us, right? Um, you know, either through discipline or through apostasy. Uh, and then also note the obvious purpose at the end of the verse. It's that while they were of us, they they looked like they were really right. of us. But only when they went out and remained out did they prove that they never really were of us. Which is kind of confusing the way he said it, but that's about the only way you can say it because that's how John said it. Yeah. So, yeah, you're looking at a person in your church, and they look like they're part of the church and in Christ, but then they go out. Now, they come back repentant, then they were of us, right? right? But if they go out and they remain out, then— and that will be the evidence against them. Yeah. Right. Because he, he says, but they went out of from us. And why? Well, for this purpose, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So it's, it's, it's bringing evidence now against them. And so when they're on judgment day, it's like, well, where's your evidence? Well, right here. Yeah. You went out and that was for the purpose to show that you weren't true. And yet I, I know people who I talk to where we know of people who have left the church and are in no church and they haven't been in a church for over a decade and show no evidence that they want to. And that people will still say, well, I, I still think they're saved. I'm like, based on what? Right. You know, goodness. They, they went out, they don't hold to anything. Their lifestyle denies Christ. At some point, when do you obey what 
John is saying it. It was done so that it would instruct you. Yeah. But you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm still not convinced. I'm like, eh. anyhow, there's uh, some other applications. And um, we've already intimated that um, the mark of a true Christian is that they actually remain in the church. Uh, um, they remain among us and of us. Um, and also that you can't separate being in the church and being in Christ, which is right. massive. A huge. Okay, so belonging, truly belonging to a local church actually becomes critical to one's spiritual health yeah. uh, and claim of faith. And so if anyone here is listening to us and you're a willful individual who says, well, I just watch YouTube videos and listen to podcasts, where we say you need to repent and go find a biblical church. Uh, and you say, well, I don't think any of them are biblical. If they preach the gospel, they're biblical. They may not be as sound as you want, but if the gospel is present, you need to join with that church yes. and become part of it. Um, this also gives weight to the idea of church membership. Now, wh why would I say that? Well, first, because it, there, there assumes in that, that there's a way to be, to, for, how do I want to phrase it? Because there assumes to be a way to know that, that a person is of us. Um, and, and it also assumes that there is a way to know that they were not of us. <laughs> um, and then, of course, finally, it assumes that if you're not of us in one place, you were not of us in any place. And so the idea of church membership, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a more formal way for a person to show that they are of us, that they belong to us. Um, you know, whereas if, it's, if you're just kind of on the fringes, uh, and you vaguely say that I belong to this local body or something. It's like, in what sense, though, are you of them or are you belonging to them? And so church membership plays a pretty vital role in, in you know, determining some of these things, at least at a pastoral level. Yeah, yeah. And then the next passage, we're not going to look at it in detail because it's uh, rather large, but the in Second Peter chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1 and following, and I'll just read the first few verses. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly, there's a key phrase, secretly introduce what? Destructive heresies. Even denying the master, which we just dealt with with John. So now Peter's dealing with the same thing. They're denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. And so then it gets into uh, the idea that God did not spare the angels who went away that they were not supposed to. He will also uh, deal with these people. So very strong terms here of just as in the Old Testament, you had the false prophets. And, and this is premised off of uh, chapter 1 in verse um, 19 to 21. It talks about that we had this prophetic word that was more sure, uh, speaking of the Old Testament prophets that, that we settled in. But even among them, there were those who rose that were false prophets. Um, in the same way, Peter says, we have these false teachers. Interesting, they're not prophets or teachers here. Um, and their whole thing is what we've said time and time again in this whole podcast. They're bringing in false doctrine, secret heresies, and the reality is that through that, 
others begin to follow them. Um, and ultimately their judgment is certain. So again, apostasy is always going to start and end in false doctrine that ultimately is the denying of right. Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And then in a very brutal way, you have <laughs> the whole book of Jude, which is basically saying that same thing as well. The entire thing is a book dedicated essentially to the topic of apostasy, 25 verses, every single one of them brutal. Um, and as you read through the book of Jude, obviously I don't have time, I wish I could, but um, just constant over and over again, the language and the way he describes these false teachers. Um, and then he'll even use language of like flatters. Um, they have soothsaying speech. Yeah. Um, again, that's how they, they work. Um, I like the one though, where he says they are clouds without water. And, <laughs> and I think I like that because I grew up in Idaho and the farmers were so dependent upon the rain. And there was nothing worse than be going through a, a drought. And then you see the dark clouds forming and you think rain is coming and there's hope, right? There's hope. And it passes over you and it drops nothing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, <laughs> but that's, that's the apostate. Yeah. Well, and then he also has that one image of hidden reefs. Oh, that's where you don't even know it's there. And then it rips the whole bottom out of your yeah. boat. Um, you know, but he goes on to describe some of these people, you know, they're grumblers, they find fault, they follow after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly. Again, they're flattering people. Why? For the sake of gaining an advantage. Um, and then he reminds them, but you, beloved, remember the words that was spoken beforehand. So just the stuff you already know, just remember. You don't need something new. You don't need something novel. What you need is truth that is consistent, objective, and always there. Um, so yeah, he just, he just, the whole book, he just works through that way. But then notice the antidote, you'll see it in verse 20 and 21. Um, he says, but you again, beloved, um, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, how waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Um, now the command there is obvious. It's keep yourself in the right. love of God. Right. Um, There's not four things there. There's one, keep right. yourself in the love of God. So how, how, how do you do that? Yeah. And, and here he describes it as you're just, you're, you're focusing and you're keeping yourself on sound in sound doctrine. Right. Um, you're holding to the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as he says up in the first verses, um, this idea of praying in the Holy spirit, this is, this is not some kind of silly, ecstatic, babbling, tapping into deity kind of stuff. Rather, it's it's prayer that is in the sphere of the Holy Spirit, meaning it's keeping in with the will of the Holy Spirit, which is revealed in Scripture, um, rather than your own agenda. I remember I was talking with somebody about this passage, and they're like, yeah, but what do you do with that? What's the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit? And I literally started in verse 1 and walk them through the entire book I remember that. verse by verse. And I tried to show them over and over again, the drum he keeps beating is the faith, the faith, the faith. And so all of a sudden you throw in the spirit and it's like, well, then what does that mean? Well, if you let the context define it, it's the spirit inspired faith, that body of doctrine, that truth once for all given to right. the church. So, so having said that, then you're building yourself up in the most holy faith. That's how you keep yourself in the love. You're praying in accordance to the will of the spirit, right? Yeah. And then what's the third one? Um, well, you're, you're living now in a manner where you're anticipating the return right. of Christ. 
uh, that's his final point. But that's how you keep yourself. It's not some people make keeping myself in the. How do I do that? Well, <laughs> yeah, they'll start working up emotions, or I'll just try to keep myself. Yeah, I don't loving feel Jesus. like I love him. Yeah. It's like, are you anticipating his return? Yes, I'm sick of this life. <laughs> That's a good thing then. You're, you're you're actually keeping yourself in the love. You're waiting for that day. Are you praying? Right? Yeah. Are and, you uh, is in is it accurate in accordance prayer? to truth? Yeah. Yeah. Uh well good. Then you're keeping yourself in the love of him. Yep. Yeah. I, I think people just beat themselves up sometimes when in fact they're doing the very thing they didn't know they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, you're doing great, man. Just keep doing that. But it's not very exciting. You're right. <laughs> but it will keep you to safe to the end. It, I mean, you won't apostatize. And right. that's his point is you want to stay from, you don't want to become a hidden reef. You don't want to be a cloud without water. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? And that he just gives us these three ways. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, so that's probably sufficient, right? I think I so. I mean, we did a flyby of all these passages. Next time we'll look at the Hebrews passages or yep. we'll start to. Um, yeah, we'll look at two, chapter two and chapter four. And then I think we'll look at chapter six and 10 yeah. in the final one. Okay. Um, so that's what we'll do. But until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. Let us know what you think about apostasy. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. As always, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm-hmm.